Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. Welcome everybody to this episode of Asian Pop Nation here on Sin. My name is Lisha, the executive producer of APN, and I'm kind of here on the hot seat to fill you in on all of the incredible music and topics that we have on this very special episode. And speaking of songs, we are of course going to have to talk about the two songs that we played just now. We first played the song titled Allegro by Midnight Grand Orchestra, which comes from their new album titled Overturn. Fun fact, this album has been picked as our APN album of the week, so that just gives you an extra indicator to check it out. Moving along, however, we then played the song titled The Opening by the Korean band Lucy, which comes from their first full album titled Childhood. Now, this week, we have a very, very stacked week. We have some big thoughts and reviews about certain events that may have already occurred across the month or are currently happening at the moment. So firstly, we are going to do a bit of a deep dive into some of our thoughts and reviews of the Hallyu Pop Fest that just recently occurred in Sydney a couple of weeks ago. And then we also are going to be sharing our reviews of two films, which are currently being shown on the Melbourne International Film Festival online streaming platform called Myth Play. We also have some interesting topics sprinkled here and there in regards to Dragon Ball Z, as well as Eric Nam being in a new film for the very first time. So yes, a very, very stacked show, as I mentioned before. And equally with a stacked show, we also have some fantastic music for this week that we just can't wait for you to hear. So be sure to join not just myself but our APN team tonight of Xenia, Lee, Tracy, JPA, and Ethan and sit back and relax on this episode of Asian Pop Nation. So moving along though, we're going to be playing the song titled Pop Pop by Cho Sarang or CSR, which comes from her debut mini album titled Sequence 7272. So let's jam out together here on Asian Pop Nation. Hello, hello everyone. You are tuning into Asia Foundation and hearing my voice right now to talk to these songs that we just played. Firstly, we played the song titled Pop Pop by CSR or Chot Sarang, which comes from her debut mini album titled Sequence 7272. Moving along, however, we then played the song titled Runaway by On and Off, which actually comes from a very special album titled The Storage of On and Off, which is apparently released while all the crew members at the moment are enlisted in the military. Moving along, we finally then played another Korean track, this time coming from Jinjin and Rocky from Astro, with their song titled Just Breathe, which fun fact, this was one of the songs that was performed at the Hollypop Fest in Sydney, which happened just a few weeks ago. And I think that is a perfect segue to bring up the fact that APN are going to dive deep into Hollypop Fest. And because it was just so jam-packed full of amazing content, we are dedicating a big chunk of the show into talking about our thoughts, about everything that occurred in the event. So I guess hop on in. We are about to go a trip down memory lane into Hollypop Fest Sydney 2022. Okay, so last week on APN, we teased a little big kind of event, and over the weekend, it actually happened. Leisha, what was it? 
What happened? Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Jumping straight into it. You're just going to jump straight into it, Lisa. Yeah. Wow. So APN were actually invited to go all the way to Sydney for the Hollywood Pop Fest 2022. Oh, yeah. But yes, it was during August 13 and 14 at the Kudos Bank Arena, again in Sydney, that this event occurred and it had a very big lineup of Korean artists and groups that either were having their first time appearance in Australia or some of them were returning back to Australia for this festival and yeah it happened and I went as the APN rep missing my team very much during that whole time yeah we were there in spirit (laughs) I would have loved it if like some of you guys went especially the ones who don't listen to k-pop just to see (laughs) your reaction to like these groups performing live and you're like wow this is what it is. Yeah, I saw it um, because there was a Hallyu Pop Fest in London yeah. in, at the beginning of July. I saw like some posts from like parents who had obviously accompanied their children. Oh my god! And they were like, "Oh yes, mm, very energetic. They remind me of NSYNC. Strange lyrics." <laughs> like <laughs> it was really funny, but it's very wholesome at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And I like again, this festival went for like two days, and I don't know why to me that is like a crazy concept, especially in K-pop world. In Australia in general, I feel like that does not happen in yeah, general. Yeah, but even comes to Australia, like, <laughs> around <laughs> the middle of the ocean. <laughs> We're geographically at a disadvantage, unfortunately, and I still feel like a lot of Asian countries still think that Australia just doesn't know K-pop in general, which I guess <laughs> fair assumption, but we exist, guys. Yeah. Yes, and there are actually a lot of Asians. Like us. Yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> all of us. There are five whole Asians in Melbourne, isn't that reason enough to come to Melbourne? Why would you go to Sydney Just and not come us. to Melbourne? <laughs> yeah. But thanks for the invite. the invite. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> as much as I would have loved it to be in Melbourne, but I guess Sydney, Sydney, you can have your fun too, I guess. But I guess for this segment, I specifically will be talking through some of the stuff that I observed and just like general thoughts and stuff during the festival. I guess before we get into, I think, what everybody wants to hear the most, which is the artists, I did want to bring up that there were like other activities that were happening around in the festival. For example, this area called Halu Town, which was like a section dedicated to all these booths and stalls that were selling like Korean products food, beauty products, and there was also the random dance play activity. I think if some of you listeners are listening and you're very well acquainted with K-pop culture, random dance play, it's a common thing that happens in like K-pop events where they what just play. For those oh, yes. who don't know anything about oh, yes. K-pop. <laughs> so it's like a thing where you have like a whole group of people, right? And then one or a small group of people are in charge of the music and they just play randomly these k-pop songs right at the chorus part only and then a bunch of people if they know the choreo they just like run into the middle and do the whole dance and it's supposed to be like oh wow like so cool to see all these people coming in together dancing to all these songs like yeah that type of yeah it's like a communal sort of social fun game thing yeah do you know the choreo the choreography to this song yeah, Sydney makes- in particular has a really strong like K-pop dance scene. Um, when I went to Sydney a couple of weeks ago for that like, Gorillaz concert, basically, um, there's this one space near um the Chinese Garden. Oh yeah, you mentioned that before. Yeah, yeah, near the exhibition center, and both sides of it are like lined with like reflective surfaces and like shop windows, and it's like a plaza. So people go there and they actually like practice K-pop. 
dance and there's like several different groups and also like old mum groups doing like they call it guangchangwu i don't know what you call it in english but like it's it's like that I, and like K-pop i know dance. i know exactly what yeah, you mean yeah they're little exercises yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's like this very wholesome, like everyone being active and dancing. Yeah. Nice. And Teresa actually brings up a very good point because the random dance play that occurred at the Hollywood Pop Fest was actually organized by two um, Sydney-based K-pop dance cover crews. So that was actually very cool to see. I just think it's very cool when activities are like fully organized by just fellow fans. Anyways, yeah. And then in terms of Hollywoodtown as well, I'm pretty sure on Sunday, Oneus, which is one of the groups that was in the lineup for day two, they actually showed up to Hollywoodtown and they did a bunch of like activities like trivia games, giveaways. One of my friends was telling me that they were like giving away signed iPads. Other than that, besides the concert, there was also like high touch event and a red carpet event, which APN did get a little sneak peek of where all the artists came down on the red carpet. There were some fans as well who were able to make it there. And then they had like a 15-minute interview moment with the one and only Andy True. Um, And (laughs) that whole moment was kind of like, I don't know, I was shell-shocked the entire time. No words. But more shell-shocked by the groups or by seeing Andy True? Both. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing Andy True just standing there, I was like, whoa. This is the man that I used to watch like on SPS Poppy show when I was younger. And he's just there in his interview work glory. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> he's sort of become like the default interview person for like anything like Asian cultural related. Yeah, here in Australia for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also to go back on something you said, you said there was a high touch event. Yes. Uh, Zenia and JP, what do you think a high touch event is? It's about touching at high places. I don't know. <laughs> high touch. What the hell's a high touch? Okay, wait. Here's a hint. It like involves the fan and the artist themselves. But what do you think? Like high fiving them? Oh yeah. Yeah, that is yeah. that's it. <laughs> Damn. Okay, that's like cool. Like high fiving them quick... from the stage. No. It's no, like there's... a very, very quick meet and greet. Yeah, oh, very, okay. very, very, very quick because usually security will just be like, go, 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 go. Right, Even yeah. if you literally put so much money into like being there. But anyways, uh-huh. that is what a high touch event is. But I think for Halley Pop Fest, they rebranded it as a high wave because of COVID. So it was oh, more right. of like you were going in and like waving at them and they were oh. waving at you as well. But typically pre-COVID, it was like a high touch, meaning you would like high five them. Oh, it's like very fast paced, but also I guess if you really want to have that like one on one moment. Anyways, yeah, I guess again, before I fully talk about the set list and the artists and stuff like that, I wanted to touch upon, I guess, my general thoughts in like of the event as a whole. Uh, y'all want the good or the bad first? Actually, give us the bad first because we want to end on a good note. That's a good point. I'll start with the bad one so that we can end on a good note. So, in my opinion, I'll say my one glaring like negative point of the event itself was Halu Town itself. Um, I felt like the booths were uh, the, there wasn't much in the first place, and the ones that were there, I felt like they weren't 
super engaging or like super exciting. There were a couple of ones which I thought were really interesting. There was a booth that if you listeners are very in tune with K-pop culture, you know, a lot of people like to collect photo cards and then they like to put photo cards in like pouches so that they can like carry it around in their life and then they like to decorate it with stickers. So there was a booth dedicated just for that. Like you could buy stickers and the little pouches to put like your photo cards and stuff like that. I thought that was pretty cute because it's so specific to I guess the K-pop fan experience. There was another booth where they were promoting their product where you could play like a K-pop dance game. Imagine like just dance but K-pop songs instead. I thought that demo was pretty interesting. Other than that though, yeah, I don't know. I felt like Hollowtown was missing a little something extra. Maybe it's because I've seen anime convention booths, for example. I feel like anime ones, I don't know. The way I wrote it was that there's a lack of community contribution. That's like the way I phrased oh. it. But because most of the booths that were there were from brands that existed in Korea and then they like came down there. There wasn't a lot of like, oh, maybe like Sydney-based Korean stalls or something like that. Or they weren't like booths that were done by fans. Like, you know what I mean? Because it's like anime convention booths. They're run by like people who actively are fans and then they create content. Oh, I see. Off the specific niche Mm -hmm. type of thing. Whereas these ones were like, I don't know. Nobody was actually interacting with the booths, you know? The only day that I saw where it was fully used was when Wanus was there and was actually doing like a bunch of activities. But other than that, I feel like I didn't see much happening in Town, which was kind of disappointing because that was the one thing that was there from 10 a.m. until right before the concert started. So it's like, if you didn't spend on like the VIP stuff, like meet and greet or and the red carpet, that would be like your only thing. It's just like Town and the concert itself. But in terms of my positives, I would say the actual like concert portion of Hollywood Fest was actually very well organized. Yeah, everything just went very smoothly. I didn't hear too much like complaints about the actual concert itself. So like, I I guess the actual part that people came for, which is seeing the artists performing and stuff, they like aced that. Nobody was like left behind or something like that. There weren't like seating or like standing issues. So that is good. And I guess the best part is the artists. Oh, of course. And in the concert itself, again, it's a two day festival, which hardly ever happens in Australia in general. So it's pretty surreal to have essentially two concerts back to back. Oh my god, it was... They're real. They're real people. (laughs) Isn't that unbelievable? (laughs) Yeah, no. The actual concert itself was crazy. Hello to all of our listeners here on Asian Pop Nation. It's Leisha here, and I'm going to fill you in on all of these songs that you heard just now on our show. We first played the song titled Do It Like This by Korean group P1 Harmony. And moving along, we played the song titled Untouchable by Korean girl group Everglow. And lastly, we played another song to come from another Korean artist. This time it's Chungha with her song titled California Dream, which is a B-side from her Bear and Rare Part 1 album. Now you may see a little theme here. All of these songs that we played just now came from Korean artists. And you may want 
wondering what's going on here. Well, it's because here at APN, we are doing a little special segment of our show where we're diving into all things Hollypop Fest related. Just as I'm speaking about this, we are actually diving right back into our Hollypop Fest conversations. This time, diving deep into all the performance performances that were happening on day one. So let's go. The actual concert itself was crazy. I guess let me do a little bit of rundown. Day one, we started out with P1 Harmony, which are um, the way the set lists are all ordered. It's like they did the newest groups first. And then Mm. it goes all the way to like, they call like the senior group. So the ones that have existed in the industry really long. So we started with P1 Harmony. They debuted, I think, right in like pandemic times. So I was actually very impressed by their presence and performance, considering, again, for a group that debuted right into COVID times. Obviously, they performed a lot, but they haven't done a lot of performances directly with fans, especially on like an international scale and stuff like that. So their performance element, great, 11 out of 10. Kiho, one of the members, he's very hilarious and I see why a lot of people really like him online. But yeah, my favorite song that they performed is definitely the last song, which is Do It Like This. It's been stuck in my head since like the day they performed it. And it was a song that like I just bypassed when it came out earlier this year, but now she's coming up to be like the number one song I'm playing this whole month. It's oh, bad wow. for me. It's just, I don't know why. Just be like, like their songs are very good for concert setting. And I guess saying mm-hmm. on that part, Everglow is also another example of a group that their songs are so perfect for a concert setting. Like they performed all of their very like hard hitting songs with a nice B-side in the middle. Hush, very cute, very nice. But all their other songs were very popular title tracks that even if you're like a casual Everglow listener, you would have definitely known. And love them the bits. Mia, she was like the standout to me in particular. She's amazing. Out of control. When she did like the dance break in Dundun, I think. Wow, out of control. And yeah, Everglow, they're fantastic considering also the fact that they were performing without two of their members. Aisha, for example, she wasn't able to attend very, very last minute, but I feel like the girls really like amped up their performance aspect. They were fantastic. And then Chungha. Chungha is like very good performer. K-pop royalty. (laughs) Till this day, I'm still like shocked that I even like saw her in real life. Oh, she was out of control. And probably to me, out of day one and day two, I think she had the best like audience interactions. I think her set list was really, really nice. She had a couple songs that are like the title track songs that most people know, but she had a lot of like B sides as well, which were like my first time hearing them, such as California Dream. Arsha really liked her a lot. And once again, I think she had the best like crowd interactions in general. She even pointed out like someone who had an IOI light stick. And if you if you know Chungha's history backstory, you understand why that is so like oof hard hitting but yeah she was amazing just oh my god just love her okay next moving along we had the boy group sf9 performing next they also like everglow were missing a few members but i felt like they really made up for it with their like stage presence and everything and sf9 was one of the groups that like 
Um, I mentioned it off air to Tracy, but I didn't actually know them too much prior. I knew one of their songs in particular, but I didn't keep up with them too much. So seeing them perform was a really, really nice surprise. I cannot lie, Teardrop also instantly went into my mm -hmm. playlist. It is so good. <laughs> wow. And I hate myself for not hearing it sooner. It's crazy. And definitely um, may have developed a... <laughs> I don't... It's so embarrassing. Um... Uh -huh, I have a crush on one of the idols from SF9. Is it Taeyang? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I you hate how you got that by the first go. <laughs> it's kind of obvious, yeah. Yes, it's Taeyang. The main dancer. The main dancer. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't need it's to very understandable, myself. Alicia. <laughs> I think a lot of other people have been in your position. It was nuts. It was just me and the girl, one of my new friends I was sitting next to. We were just like in shock when they were doing their team introductions and he showed up on the screen. It was so bad because we immediately just took out our phones and were like SF9 member profiles and like <laughs> scrolling. Who is this man? And then one of the other girls next to us recorded us doing it and uploaded <laughs> it on TikTok my embarrassing oh my arc I, why is like none of my story times could go without some like stupid embarrassing thing happening like me in malaysia i get splashed everywhere me at this concert i minor tiktok fame for searching member this is on stage <sighs> anyways as if nine yeah i was very surprised um because again i didn't know their discography too much beyond one song so hearing all of these songs insane and again teardrop Wow, no words. And I think they also ended on a really like fun hype song as well, Play Hard. And actually, this was something I heard a few people murmuring about. I don't know, some people were kind of upset about this because SF9 ended with Play Hard, which if you've listened to it, it's a very like energetic type of song. And right after that was Chen from EXO. And Chen is very known for having very vocally beautiful songs, which are all ballads and quite a few of them are from drama OCs as well so some people actually felt like it was a bit of like a letdown going from like a very very hype song into like Chen where he immediately started with songs like Beautiful Goodbye, My Dear, Shall We and two other songs which were from drama OSTs but mm -hmm. I actually disagree <laughs> I actually disagree and then, yes. Tracy, what do you think? <laughs> surprise, surprise, Leisha, resident SM <laughs> is just to see Chen XO. Nah, I saw people being like, oh my God, I can't believe. Like, they were talking about London. They were like, oh my God, these ballad men. And I was like, don't disrespect these ballad men like this. They can sing. They have some pretty songs. I'm pretty sure I'm going to play Chen's Flower, which um, he didn't perform, but is a very pretty song with good tasty modulations. So there is value in like a really pretty ballad. Exactly. Give rights to ballads. This is APN stands right here. Give ballads <laughs> rights. Ballads deserve rights. But yeah, no, not a shocker that me, SM Stan, and XOL would be just so happy to see Chen there. I mean, again, like just in general, seeing Chen like being active in like idol activity in general just like shocked me. I was in shock. I was in awe. There was no fangirling moment or anything. I was just sitting on my chair, just like really absorbing his vocals and just how beautiful everything was like wow i was sending clips to my friend about the chen performance because her cousin was a big fan of chen 
And we were just like, wow, it's just beautiful. Like his promises to me were such a beautiful end. But I definitely could understand like other people's like opinions about how it's like all these other groups are very like hype, 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 hype. And then Chen's like a very nice, like, I feel like it was like a nice closing ending moment. But exactly. of course, those people are wrong. <laughs> Change saying. your opinion now. Yeah. <laughs> Ballads, sometimes valid, especially if Chen is singing. Hey, you're listening to Asian Pop Nation right here on Sin, the number one hub for all things Asian pop culture related and more here on Sin. My name is Leisha, and just now we played three really nice Korean tracks. First, we played the song titled Flower by the one and only Chen from EXO. Moving along, we played the song titled Teardrop by Korean male group SF9. Before, lastly, we played the song titled Moss by Korean girl group Kepler. Now, if you're hearing this lineup, it may sound a little bit familiar to you, especially if you're somebody who keeps up with K-pop content, as this is very similar to the list of artists that were at the Hollypop Fest at Sydney a couple weeks ago. And you're definitely right, since we are talking about the festival at the moment here at Asian Pop Nation. And actually, we are about to dive into day two and all of the performances and everything that went down. So let's roll the tape. Let's move on to day two, baby, which I think for a lot of people was the day that people were looking forward to the most. And I think it showed because I think that day in particular, the tickets were all sold out. As I go to the lineup, you may start to understand why. As we start out with Kepler. <laughs> How do I talk about them and not freaking out? Kepler, yes, the new Go group, they performed their hit classics like what da da 2022 <laughs> song of the year <laughs> and yeah okay couple didn't have too much songs to perform but of course they only just literally debuted it this year and they are also a temporary group but i love them to bits and i was just happy to see shouting there and my life was complete <laughs> they're insanely fantastic dancers i think like seeing them live i was like whoa their formations and everything out of control and again it's so hard for me not to sound biased because i do love kepler a lot and up was the summer song i played all the time when i was in malaysia but yeah it was just a shock moment but let's move on to another group which i say will be the complete opposite perception i have whereas kepler i kind of knew like the ins and outs Juanus, I knew nothing about prior what? to this event coming up. I know, shock horror, I know. Even one of the media people I was meeting, she was the biggest fan of Juanus. And I said, I don't know any of their music, but I'm so excited to see what they have in store. And they deliver 100%. Like, I actually, after watching them perform, I was like, I want to listen to all their songs and, like, actually watch their performances out of the concert because they are incredible. Yeah, their performances, I think they picked really, really great songs, especially for someone like me who did not know them at all prior. And yeah, Luna in particular was a standout to be. And I think, wink, wink, we are going to be playing that song in particular. Wow, like they brought up the props, guys. The they had fans. The members were using fans in the choreo and it was crazy and they had so much energy like the whole time one of them was like jumping out of people's backs they were doing like Probably they so were, yeah they were doing the most 
then Mamamoo is like younger brother group. Mm. So they sort of have, they have different teams, but still that emphasis on like good songs. Yeah. Same with Oh My Girl, I think. Yeah. Their strengths are like good songs. Mm-hmm. And good thing you mentioned about them because Oh My Girl was right after Oneus. And yeah, Oh My Girl. Also another group that like I knew, but I didn't know like too much. And I think their set list was actually quite nice for both, I think, fans who really, really know their discography back and front. And for fans like me who just like, I know the most popular songs and that's it because they did play Dolphin, of course, and then Dance. And then they played Gorilla, which was from their Queendom performance, but Mm, they played a rock version of that song instead, which does not exist anywhere (laughs) except for in this concert setting. So that was a very like interesting surprise to see it but it was really cool because like some of the members really got to show off their vocal range but yeah it was very like it's very cool to see them perform and so i i'm like repeating myself just like oh wow this group was so good to hear this artist was so good because genuinely all these artists i felt like brought their a game so it's just i i it's genuinely all of them did really well and, and oh my girl included especially i really liked gorilla i don't know why it just like stick to me and I'm so upset that the rock version just doesn't exist out of the concert setting. So I just have to watch like my recording and be like, yep, that's the song. <laughs> that's the song. But yeah, moving along, however, we also had Astro, Woo! one of my friend's favorite groups. So I knew like bits and pieces about their discography, but I was very surprised when they went with the route of actually performing in their like units first before coming together as like a group in the end which wouldn't make sense because two of their members were not there MJ and Chao Unwoo but the members made do with like Jinjin and Rocky performing two of their unit songs together Lockdown and Just Breathe Just Breathe is very fun by the way and then Moonbin and Saha coming together to perform two other songs as well Bad Idea and Who and then only at the end they came together and performed Candy Sugar Pop they were the only ones that did like a unit type of setting so it was like very cool to see the differences of how these two mm, units sound yes. they, they clearly have a very distinct <laughs> sound if you ever search them up you can yes. just tell <laughs> Jinjin and Rocky are just like jokesters having a good time they're just like having fun on stage is kind of their concept and like Moonbin and Sanha are like sexy sort of uh, group you know they always wear like singlets yeah biceps sort of thing yeah yeah and then astro's original concept is kind of like very fresh very bright doing sort of very intricate formations that was their original concept so it's interesting to see them branch out they have very good performance I really like this performance of the units. I thought was very interesting. I did wish that they would perform one more song together as like a group. I thought just performing Candy Sugar Pop. I was like, oh, and then they were like, okay, bye guys. I was like, oh, that was it. That was their only group performance. But again, it does make sense because two of the members were not there at the event, so perfectly fine. I was just that's just my one singular wish. And then finally, oh my god, we're finally at the end, guys. Best for last. Um. How do I even introduce this guy? Because, oh my god. This guy is Kai. He is main dancer of XOK. I think Leisha might be fond of him or something. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe slightly. I don't know. Just <laughs> just maybe a little. Yeah, he was definitely the artist that I was looking forward to um, the most. I love his solo discography. 
uh, quite a lot. I still think Baekhyun probably has my favorite out of the EXO members. Yes, Baekhyun has my favorite solo discography. But Kai comes in a very close second. And seeing him perform... um, <laughs> God, we can tell it's very hard for me to articulate once we get to artists that I genuinely already liked prior to the event. He was out of control. He performed his hits like Peaches and Um especially, but the rest of it were all B-sides and I think that really plays with his strengths because I think some of his best songs are from the B-sides like Amnesia, which was never performed, but that is fine. <laughs> that is fine. I'm okay. But yeah, no, he's a perfect artist to, I feel like, end the two-day show. He just has a lot of stage presence and of course his dancing like i don't even need to say anything his dancing is out of control but yeah <laughs> it sounds like a good time leisha i think that if they ever put on this event again in sydney we'd definitely um definitely be more than happy to come along and check yes, it yes. out well, that would be great Hallie and if they decided you. to come to melbourne well we'd be more than happy to promote it on the show thanks yes. holly pop fest for bringing our little team down to Sydney to cover your show. It was very fun, very amazing overall. Such a surreal experience that will be checked on my bucket list for the rest of my life and APN's bucket list because I don't know if APN has ever gone all the way interstate just to cover an event. Yeah, this is big. This is big stuff. APN, we're growing up, guys. We're in the big leagues now. (laughs) Watch out as... Just you know, I love you, Andy True. Don't kill me. Ah. If you have any thoughts about how you pop fast, maybe you like saw that TikTok of Leisha scrolling on her phone <laughs> to um search up Young of SF9. Well, maybe you just like, I don't know, maybe you want to share some of your experiences at the show with us. Um, feel free to message us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are Asian Pop Nation. What a collection of song requests we played just now on Asian Pop Nation by some of our dear listeners, such as Matthew. Thank you once again for your song request. We first played the song titled Hikai E by Hachimeka Seiyu Unit Stem before moving along with the song titled Destiny by Hysteric Japan. Now, we are definitely jumping ship a bit after talking about an event that had already occurred a few weeks ago. We are now moving on to talking about a particular event that is actually ongoing at the moment. So as you are hearing this right now, listener, you can definitely hop on on your laptops, search this up and watch some of these films that we're going to be talking about, which are all being showcased at the moment in the Melbourne International Film Festival. So we are talking about two movies in particular, Children of the Mist and Planet 75. And yeah, you get to hear our APN team share some of it thoughts and what they think about all of these movies but before we do start however these conversations that we are about to have about these films do contain some sensitive content so listener discretion is advised if it's not your cup of tea perfectly fine feel free to check out some of our other incredible sin shows available on our platform but other than that let's go During our show last week, we actually focused on the official return of the Melbourne International Film Festival, or MIF, from here on out. And it's an event that many of us, and probably you have heard of as well, that focuses on showcasing the massive variety of Australian and international films, both physically in cinemas across Melbourne and regional Victoria, but also online. So last week we had Ethan, 
go a bit more in depth of the films he'd already seen physically through MIF. Um, but this week we decided to highlight some more films that we got to watch through MIF Play, which is the festival's streaming platform. So we watched two films. One was a documentary called Children of the Mist, and the other was a Japanese film called Plan 75. Uh, we might start with Children of the Mist first, but be warned, um, going into the dis- this discussion, there will be some sensitive topics, discuss death, kidnapping, the likes. So oh, the worst. <laughs> Euthanasia. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things going down. Um, Euthanasia so. and youth in Asia. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> what a way to make it snappy for a. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, of course. So we'll talk about Plan Seventy Five after Children of the Mist. Uh, so we'll be splitting this into two parts, with Children of the Mist being first and Plan Seventy Five being second. So. Yeah. Uh, is that, a little- Children of the Mist about? Good question, JP. Did you watch the, the documentary? Yeah, I did. Okay, Tracy, yeah. you watched it. So, Children of the Mist is a documentary set in Vietnam. Follows a 12-year-old Hmong girl from a remote village in the north, in, in the northern mountains. Her name's Dee. And she helps her family's indigo farm, tends to the rice paddies, and cares for her family's pigs. So she's, you know, like a normal 12-year-old. She's feisty. She argues with her mother. She's always on her phone and flirting with boys um and she's kind of unconcerned about her community's cultural tradition of kidnapping girls into child marriage and it tends to happen every lunar new year and this lunar new year um this boy a local boy called Vang, comes along and carries her off on his scooter so essentially the documentary shot and directed by harley diem who actually couldn't speak Hmong language and who'd stayed with Dee and her family for three years and could only understand snippets based on the short Vietnamese explanations they gave her. Um, she was then able to work with Hmong translator from the same village as Dee and translate about like, like 100 hours of footage from her time there and following Dee in her life. So thoughts, Tracy, <laughs> what were your takeaways from the documentary? It found it really interesting. Yeah, it was nice. It was um, surprisingly chill for how heavy of a topic it is, like, you know, child kidnapping and stuff and like forced marriage. It's like, um, you know, going into it, I thought there would be like a very clear, uh, how would you say this, like moral? Yeah, like moralistic. Yeah, yeah something moralistic, right? But then what I got um, from this documentary was, uh, I don't know, a damn good documentary. Like yeah. it just documented her everyday life, um, you know, didn't really try to paint anyone as any sort of like archetype or anything it was just like this is a village in vietnam this is a tradition that they have and like it's so intertwined within i guess like yeah. the fabric of their reality it's like it's, it's an everyday yeah. life thing for them yeah it's yeah. so cool to see it's so interesting i guess if, if there's two things that has in common with um plan 25 which we're going to be talking about later mm-hmm. first of all there's a karaoke scene oh uh, yeah there is <laughs> second of all it's this sort of like very lots of conflicting emotions and like people talking about like very serious things very serious things very nonchalantly mm-hmm. so in this village like there's um i guess you can sort of divide it into two two halves the first half is like it's sort of um a lot of like it, it's mostly just conversations revolving around the practice of child kidnapping collected over three years like mm-hmm. they'll, they'll they'll be like oh my god i'm gonna get you and kidnap you like as it's like a fun playground game with other kids um, or like with all her mum talking about like her attitudes towards like being a woman, etc. Um, and all the time, all the while, they are just doing stuff. So they'll be like um, making indigo dye and dyeing like cloth and that sort of thing. Or they'll be like um, 
like harvesting rice and, and that sort of thing. So it's just this very pastoral sort of agricultural first half. And then the second half is like very, like almost very dramatic when like the kidnapping goes down. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's this like, spoiler alert, there's this very like interesting contrast between it's quite a serious decision, like this girl getting abducted from her family, but they sort of treat because it's quite normal to them. They're like really, really sad, but they also kind of want it to happen because if it doesn't happen, they lose face. Mm-hmm. So it's this sort of weird interplay between like, I really don't want my child to leave and like leave our family but at the same time like, this it's is like just it's part happens. of life yeah it's like, like they accept it they, they accept it as a fact of life yeah Zanya, any thoughts on I, I had the same feeling as tracy you go into this and you think you know like the kidnappers are gonna be the villains evil, yeah but it's just another 14 year old boy and he's like yeah, oh, he's still a kid. Kid as well. yeah like he doesn't really know what he's that. doing either yeah <laughs> And it's like interesting as well because the documentary, um, the director, Harley Diem, she's also had the role in it as well. Mm-hmm. And I was watching some interviews after watching the film about how, you know, she spent three years there, practically became like an older sister. And you can hear conversations throughout the documentary between her and the main character about, you know, like, what did you think of me going off with? Like, do you hate me? And she's like, yeah, of course I hate you for doing something <laughs> like that. Because, you know, she obviously has such an emotional connection that even when she was being dragged away and the director tried to stop it from happening, she was kind of pushed away. And I haven't really seen many documentaries where the camera person has literally become like a character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that's why that it's so non-judgmental, right? Because she just not understands their situation she doesn't come in with like her own worldview and is like these people are obviously wrong and i'm going to like show how backwards they are she like genuinely sort of has a fondness for this family and understands i guess the fact that this is a very normal sort of custom she doesn't like it at all uh, she sort of understands that this is their way and this is kind of what they want yeah i was also surprised in the in some of the scenes when she had been abducted and the the boy's family comes to her house mm-hmm. and you know she's trying to break it off his family's like insisting and the way that you know the main character and the boy handle it is like how 14 year olds would you know like they first start like, <laughs> right, just like yeah. you know yeah. leave me alone leave me alone and then it becomes like this little chase and they start laughing and then it's just like <laughs> right yeah you can tell they're just like stupid 14 year olds but like when i heard about this movie i thought it was like oh this girl has no saying in it but they also try to make a point of like the two of them must agree to the marriage before they proceed with it mm-hmm. they don't really give her a lot of choice or a lot of like um like she constantly says she doesn't want to be in it and they're like yes but like you do right and but they do actually fundamentally they they try to frame it as like a choice between two people and it was also interesting how those scenes between the boys family and the girls family felt almost like two nations trying to establish friendly political relations yeah, yeah they were trying to be yeah, that's what marriages are really <laughs> yeah yeah they are <laughs> like that one scene where like the boy's father offers um her dad like a glass of a wine Mm-hmm. like a cup of wine and and he's like really reluctant to take it and he's like and then the dad's and then the other guy's like oh no it's not a commitment you know it's okay i'm just offering it to you there's no strings attached to it they really don't want her to be married to this guy but they also mm-hmm. don't want to upset this person like this family mm-hmm. just in case they do it's really interesting this documentary i would really recommend it actually it's quite a i think it's quite easy to watch despite it's a yeah. matter like it's mm-hmm. not grim at all like it's, it's set in this beautiful valley with mist that's why it's called children of the mist because like it's sort there's of mist and children level. in it and there's children in it yeah. yeah it's 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 not heavy really at all it's like surprising 
um, especially since it's a documentary, so you know it's like, wow, this actually happened. But it, it's just so interesting just as an insight into like Hmong life mm. and how it intersects with like modern life. Because she was yeah. talking to this boy on Facebook for, before he abducted her. So it's <laughs> yeah. interesting. <laughs> and then like her boyfriend, like her ex-boyfriend and all that drama. Yeah. Um, <laughs> texting. Texting. And then like phones. gossiping with her like friends about this guy. Yeah, like, the he gossip. Oh my God. <laughs> There's this great scene where she's like on her phone and like, at, like just going through her texts with her friends or her sister next to her. And her hands are like stained with like blue dye from like obviously. Yeah, from the indigo. So it's this interesting, yeah, mishmash of like sort of an old agricultural sort of way of life. Now, to an extent, you you see it even um, with cultural uh, clashes between the teachers and the actual villagers, because the teachers, they do come in, they mention this tension between maintaining, I guess, that tradition of bride kidnapping and then also have to having to consider that, you know, there's national law. Yeah, yeah. Right. They, they come along, they're like, by the way, this is illegal. Yeah, technically, you know. It's your choice. So, like, <laughs> fundamentally, it is your choice. But just to remind you, this is illegal. And then they leave. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what they do. Man, it's a good documentary. I would also recommend this very much. All right. Uh, do you want to talk about the next film, uh, Plan 25? Yeah, we'll talk about it after this music break. Bye. I just need a moment to just gush over how great those three songs that we played just now were here on Asian Pop Nation. And of course, I want to fill you in on all the details of the songs that we actually played. So don't worry, I got you covered. Firstly, we played the song titled You Need My Love by Very Coy Bunny. Moving after that, though, we then played the song titled Blush! Exclamation point by Nicole Han. And lastly, we played the song titled Evergrey by Korean Canadian. Canadian artist Jiwoo, which comes from his new EP titled Evergrey. So if you're just listening to our show right now, we are actually going to be talking about a second film, which is being shown in the Melbourne International Film Festival at this very moment through their online platform, Myth Play. So right now you get to hear our APN team share some of their thoughts of the movie titled Plan 75. So listen in to some of their juicy, juicy thoughts right now. So last segment, um, we talked about a film from the Melbourne International Film Festival that quite a few of us watched. It was called Children of the Mist. Very, very interesting documentary. But uh, it is now time for the second movie that we all watched. And that was called Plan 75. Yeah, this film is really interesting. Um, It's set in the sort of alternate future of Japan where basically the government has stated a program where people over the age of 75 have the option to get like a government subsidized um, sort of end of life thing, a sort of end of life care package mm-hmm. where they get to, I guess, talk to people on the phone and like they get some extra money to live out their final days and then they get euthanized. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's to do sort of deal with Japan's growing population. That's um, the future that this film proposes. Yeah. It feels, I would say this film, like it, it doesn't feel, it feels quite dystopian. Mm. Um, like it's not dystopian in the sense that like 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 I think you usually associate dystopia with like sci-fi, like mm-hmm. everyone's in some sort of camp costume. You know, oh industrial society, yeah. boom, smoke everywhere. Yes, yeah, like something yeah. like Brazil or the double. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've definitely watched that film. Okay. 
yeah i feel like like because all the um the indoor scenes in this are a lot of um there's not a lot of natural light in this movie especially Mm -hmm. the first half it's all like set in quite like dark rooms with artificial lighting and there's often like shadows around the characters at the same time it's like very like the a lot of it takes place in like bureaucratic like waiting rooms for example um it's a recurring theme or like offices and they look like normal offices like it looks like the office i went to work today in. Um, mm-hmm. so it looks like it could be set in our present reality it's not sort of high fantasy at all um, yeah it's, but- it's actually like eerily realistic um yeah like it could be happy ne- happening now it <laughs> could be yeah because like you know the the aging population thing it really is like a big issue in japan and so um yeah the the topic I guess like the subject matter of the film it's pretty hard too yeah there's a lot of um like in terms of its pacing it's such a quiet film yeah there's a lot of like after the character leaves the shot it sort of lingers for a few more moments Mm -hmm. um you have some shots which are like more than one minute long just a single shot like stationary shot i think it Mm. opens with like a like a two minute like shot yeah, it was blurry. Yeah, I yeah. have no clue what was happening. You hear like a clat a clatter of something and someone's going through a hallway. Yeah, I almost forgot that the movie was on when I started playing it on the website. I was like, oh, I gotta do something else. And There's then- a lot of silent moments, yeah. Yeah. I think it's just to emphasize that these people are really lonely. <laughs> yeah, it's it's they're really lonely. Yeah. So I guess there's three main characters that the film follows. Mm-hmm. Um there is I think her name is Michi. She's a 78-year-old woman, mm-hmm. and over the course of the film, she gets gradually pushed out of society. Um, there is a Filipino um, worker mm-hmm. who starts off the film in like an aged care facility and then starts working for Plan 75. And then there's this young man who works as like a sort of um, like a customer service agent for yeah, like yeah. Plan 75. Like he sort of arranges, oh, so you've signed up for this? Oh, yeah. So like what option, what sort of plan would you want? Sort of, He's you know, the guy you talk to at the desk. Yeah. Mm. And I guess there is also this one character who kind of sort of comes in halfway and leaves abruptly, which is this girl that Michi um, meets yeah. um, halfway through um, on the sort of the chat up line that Plan 75 provides the seniors before, I guess, they leave the earth. <laughs> oh my God, it's like complimentary. You can have friends uh, before you leave, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. For fifteen minutes a day. Yeah, it, it's sneaky too, because with how bureaucratic everything is, right? Like you don't really. Sometimes it's hard to sense it until you yeah. get to the point where you know finally she's sitting on the bed, and you know they're about to give the you know medicine, you know quote quotation marks to her. It's like, whoa, this is insane. <laughs> There is so yeah. much of this film that's just like detached, like like detached, polite voices, mm-hmm. like unemotional, detached voices. Where, whether yeah. that be like customer representatives or like radio broadcasts, sort of mm-hmm. disembodied voices, with yeah, without with no sort of human connection. And again, that emphasizes the loneliness of these characters. Yeah, that's what it's about, really. It's very true. I feel like a lot of the issues of this film could have been resolved had they just connected earlier. You right. Know? Like yeah. connected with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, people just were like open to like getting to know each other and to hear each other's stories. And then it does you know, show it's... that like a lot of the reason why we're like lonely is because we're stifled by politeness almost. Mm-hmm. And, like the mm-hmm. the the want to not impose on other people. 
seems to be like a big barrier to just general human connection, especially mm-hmm. in Japan. Yes. Just reach out to people, man, for real. Like yeah. seriously, yeah. You yeah, gotta go crazy. Like just message people. Don't be like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna look weird. Like yeah. they'd probably be they'd probably be pleased that you you'd reach out to so they'll be like, Oh my god, you actually care about me? That's crazy. Yeah. No one cares about me. So like text people you know and be like, Hey, do you want to meet up for something? They'd probably um appreciate it, even if they haven't heard from you from for like five years. Um, you know, reach out to your old high school friends or people you used to work with and meet up with them because it can be pretty uh, rewarding. So yeah, that was Plan 75. Um, pretty interesting film. However, as of the time of us recording, um, the film screenings of the films that are, that are physically in the cinemas would have ended already, sadly. But you'll still be able to check out some of the films on the 2022 program through Myth Play, like us. That was how we watched it. Um, you'll be able to do that until the 28th of August. So make sure to check out the official Myth website to find out more. And if you have any interesting impressions about the films we talked about, or if perhaps you managed to find some other interesting films you want to let us know about uh, before 28th of August, let us know. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Asian Pop Nation. This is Asian Pop Nation here, residing on the sin. My name is Leisha, and if you're just tuning into our show right now, we just played three incredible tracks, which all come from Asian artists across the globe. Starting first with the song titled Music All We Have by Indonesian artist Scalar. Moving along after that, we then played the song titled Alter Ego, which is actually by The Finn, which is a Japanese band, and remixed by Sunset Roller Coaster, which is a Taiwanese band. So love the collaboration moment here. We then played a Japanese track titled Magical Blink by the artist Surround, which actually comes from their new album titled After Hours. And maybe some of you guys are listening on the show right now may feel like we're entering the after hours of APN and you will be right as we're about to get into some more interesting topics not so related to myth or Hollywood pop fest but more of our usual interesting news that have popped around that we just really wanted to talk about like this very interesting film announcement that Eric Nam a really well-known Korean artist who will be making his film debut in a psychological thriller movie very interesting indeed and definitely listen in right now if you want to know all the details of what exactly is going on with this news so let's go if you're not in the know about who Eric Nam is, he is a favorite Deloitte analyst turned K-pop star turned radio and podcast host turned actor now, apparently. He is a guy from Atlanta who basically participated on a K-pop show and then was cast by a company um, called Stone Music, which he left in 2021. He has quite like a fan base in terms of the K-pop world from hosting a lot of shows. He's quite an affable guy who is a good bilingual host. And he seems to be just all around pleasant guy. Recently, we have news that he's actually making his acting debut in a new, I was about to say musical. It's not a musical. It's a new film. It's called Transplant. The premise of the film sounds to me a lot like Whiplash from 2014, that movie. It's based around Eric Nam's character, which is Jonah Yoon, 
a surgical resident at a hospital who's very competitive and he is training under the heart transplant surgeon called Dr. Edward Harmon, played by Bill Camp. This will be Eric Nam's first acting gig ever. So that's a pretty big step up from never having done acting, never, to debuting in pretty much like a starring role opposite a seasoned actor. According to Eric Nam's agent, he was offered the opportunity for this film while he was on his world tour and he actually taped his audition from his tour bus while still on tour. Most of the movies we cover on this show are movies that we feel like are going to be inevitable train wrecks, but this specific movie sounds like it might actually be good. It's produced by Forrest Whitaker and Nina Young Bongiovi, who also produced Fruitvale Station and Sorry to Bother You. I haven't watched Fruitvale Station, but I know Sorry to Bother You was the one that Stephen Yoon was in, and that was actually a good film. To me, this is interesting, especially because, Tracy, you mentioned we have talked about upcoming movie news that do potentially involve K-pop stars in it. The one that has um, Rebel Wilson in it is the one that yes. also in my mind immediately. One with Chao and Wu in Wu. it. Lost in America. K-pop's yeah. Lost in America. Like yes, Lost in the Middle yes. of Texas or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's the one, guys. So yeah. comparing that one to this one. This, this one, one sounds like an actual movie. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like... Yeah, they like taking this guy who's again, he's a singer, popular K pop singer, and like, yeah, putting him in like a movie that does a plot. <gasps> Who would have thought? Okay, in my opinion, I don't know why. I think maybe it's just the way K pop as an industry works in general. It's so hard, like an idol that you have like a parasocial relationship with, and they like, I don't know, have to set personality with like every now I'm just like, like a pleasant guy he has like podcasts where he gets i guess more introspective but he's also very like i guess funny and stuff especially in concerts i see a lot of clips of him like at his concert just making jokes with fans and stuff like that so seeing him in like this very like a like, serious role as a top surgical resident at an elite hospital i don't know it's this seems very like far from what i expected or like what i knew quote unquote Hmm. Eric Nam's like typical persona artist persona he has and the fact that in the title of this article they're referring to it refers to it as a psychological thriller those genres are I guess not somewhere I see not even just Eric Nam I feel like most musicians in general I don't know like if they said Matt Healy from the 1975 was making his film debut in a thriller people would be like what like you'd expect him to make his film debut in something like Bodies 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 like a fun romp yeah or like something like you know how lady gaga was like what in a star is born like she's playing a character who becomes like a singer and stuff like that yeah Mm -hmm. so it's like i don't know like especially because it's his debut typically i feel like the route they do with singers in debut films is like get them to play a role that's like a similar to how they are like in real life to like slowly Mm -hmm. ease in to it i mean it definitely piques my interest because it's so out like so left field from what I expected from Eric Nam. Yeah, there's definitely this whole concept of the idol actor, mm-hmm. right? So Child idol Wu. actors are typically idol actors are considered perhaps not as accomplished as real actors because they get cast mostly to attract their fan bases um, to the film or to the TV mm-hmm. or to the web drama. 
So they're kind of looked down upon because they're perceived to be like less deserving of their casting. So I feel like Eric Nam probably has the stigma against him, maybe going into this film. Uh, when I saw this press release, that when it came out, I think it had the title K-pop star Eric Nam to star in Psychological Thriller. They've okay. since changed it to musician Eric Nam. Okay. I feel like someone complained because there is still this stigma against people from the K-pop industry. But it's still hard to imagine, say, Eric Nam as the Miles Teller to Bill Camp's J.K. Simmons. Because, I don't know, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything sort of especially emotionally involved. No, exactly. Yeah. Again, the most I could think of is just like him and his podcast just being like silent introspective about life and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But nothing that like, again, involves like acting out like emotions and stuff like that and again it's just the yeah. thing that's ringing in my ear is just like psychological thriller plus eric nam equals question mark like i thought a pairing that i would think about at all so again, i mean maybe they want to harness his sort of affable nice guy energy into mm-hmm. something more sinister i'm not sure maybe We'll just have to wait and see. This is all of us just speculating because really it is actually very like interesting news and a very interesting pairing that I would have never pictured personally for me. But it's still nonetheless actually quite cool to hear. Better than uh, um, K-pop lost in America. Sorry. (laughs) I think no matter how this film turns out, it's going to be really interesting to see Eric Nam actually act. Yes. I don't think he's actually done serious acting before. It'll be interesting no. to see him in a context outside of hosting variety shows or doing his songs on stage. Yeah. And we want to end um, by saying that Eric Nam is coming to <laughs> Australia very soon, imminently, yeah. in fact, in the first few days of September. Oh. He's visiting Brisbane, Sydney. He has actually three dates in Melbourne, two at the Power Station on the 9th and 10th of September and one date at the Forum on the 7th of September. If you needed any more convincing, his opener will actually be APN, um, friend of the show, no, um, <laughs> APN former interview, we, Grant Perez, yeah. our Whoa. favorite Filipino yeah. Sydney musician. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. And if you want to listen to that interview that was conducted by myself and Lee, oh, be sure to check out our podcast, APN, Asia Pop Nation podcast. Available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, anywhere and everywhere you stream your podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually a very fun interview. He's very wholesome. Yeah, uh, good guy to chat Do too. you think we can interview Eric Knopf? <laughs> a pipe dream. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? But um, if you have any thoughts about this, uh, maybe you're like looking forward to it. Maybe you know something we don't know about this movie at the time of recording. Feel free to message us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on Asian Pop Nation. Hey, welcome to our show, Asian Pop Nation, if you're just listening right now. And I guess welcome back to our show if you are a returning listener. We are just kind of chilling here, giving not only the latest Asian pop culture content and more, but also the latest Asian music across the globe, like these three songs that we played just now. We first played the song titled Living Hell by Bella Porch, before moving along with the song titled Ming Ling by Ramen Girl featuring Young Raja, and lastly, we played the song titled High Risk, High Return by Since featuring Pola Dared, which comes from the new EP titled High Risk, High Return. And just like how I mentioned that we love to talk about new pop culture content and play new music, this definitely 
this next topic that we're going to be talking about definitely fits into that radar, but in a more interesting way. It's definitely not a realm that I feel like us at APN have talked about before. So um, be prepared to hear our team kind of go through a whole spiral when we talk about this collaboration with the video game Fortnite and the anime slash manga Dragon Ball Z. So last week, the the collab of the year was oh, announced no. by Fortnite. Oh. Oh god, we're really doing it. Fortnite did a collab with Dragon Ball. Anyone here watch Dragon Ball? You gotta be kidding me. No, mm, but that's I- okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, everyone here knows what Dragon Ball is. Yep. <laughs> wait, I don't know how to lead on. <laughs> okay, wait, we- no, but what's the actual collab? Like, what what's new in the Fortnite universe with this collab, Lee? So you can now play as a few characters from Dragon Ball. God. Okay, wait, I can help. I can <laughs> fill in on some deets. Okay. Okay. Yes, because Leisha, you play Fortnite as well, don't you? Uh huh. What? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Bull wait, Lisha, accusation. This is bold accusations made on uh-huh. APN, slandering right. by public image on mm-hmm. this platform. Um, yes, I did play Fortnite before. Anyways, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. No, no shame in that. But, yeah. um, oh, no shame. So apparently, they not only have all these characters, which I guess you can like pay in-game currency to own their skin, kind of like the Ariana Grande Fortnite collab, the Naruto Fortnite collab, the Rick and Morty. Yeah, you get the picture. Fortnite likes to do collabs all across the sun. So I guess Dragon Ball wasn't a big surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also have an island in the game called Dragon Ball Adventure Island which has locations inspired by Dragon Ball Super. And yeah, and then I guess you have additional like mini quests that are a part of this that you can get rewards and do a Kamehameha. And mm-hmm. Yeah, Yo, say it like, say it like you own it. Lisa. <laughs> say it like you, you're going to do one right now. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I guess you also get to have like a mount, like you can have one of the clouds that I guess is it's shown a lot in the anime that the characters ride on. What do you guys think about this club? I think I've already said before that to me it doesn't seem too out there for Fortnite, but what do you think? What kind of future have we come to where <laughs> this is normal? <laughs> have you not always wanted an iconic anime to collab with the Fortnite? <laughs> what? Oh my god, we had Naruto, I believe. Yes. Was it earlier in the year or last year? I think it was earlier this year because I swear I've seen so many footage of like Sasuke doing the Fortnite dance. Yes, yes, <laughs> them doing the Fortnite dances. And even before that, like we had crazy things in Ariana Grande, yes. John Wick. Um, that is true. <laughs> yeah, you know, man, I don't know. Like, what's happening with the world? I'm trying to understand. You don't like this? What's going on? No, no, I mean, it's just so odd to me, you know? You- what okay? What anime would you like to see be Fortnite fied? What anime? What do you I think like actually fits? Get Fortnite fied. <laughs> Nothing fits. This horrid game <laughs> is absolutely. Then yeah, you got any romance? <laughs> romance anime that would fit the Fortnite universe? Would fit the Fortnite universe? Oh my god. Um. Any that are like popular? Oh, you know what? Oh, uh, no. I feel like an Orin High School Host Club would be fun. Oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> Orin High School Host Club. Whoa. That, like, sent like, shockwaves to my head. I don't know what they would do, like, what their weapons would be. But I think it would be a lot of fun. 
Just, oh, I think they would just hold a gun, but yep. Yeah. Oh, Tamaki holding a gun. Oh, that base. Lee, you're the resident Fortnite fan. What do you think? Um, Is dude. there an anime you'd like to see Fortniteified? <laughs> Um, this question is insane. It's so insane. Oh, I'm surprised they haven't done that yet. Yeah, yeah, Attack on Titan. That would be kind of sick. Uh, Oh my god, yeah, I think Attack on Titan and Fortnite would be really does fit. Yeah, because Attack on Titan is a gritty story, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, yeah, it's not out of character for them to be shooting each other. I feel like you can do a nice island, like an Attack on Titan themed island as well, and it's just a recreation of whatever the main town is. Obviously. Oh god, oh, and yeah. You know how um you can get like back when the Thanos thing was a Thanos and Fortnite. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh yeah, Thanos and you wasn't. Get Fortnite. the Infinity Gauntlet and like you pretty much become overpowered. They should do that, but. You can just With start rumbling and everyone. Oh no. <laughs> this feels oh, like a fever no. dream. We're like mentioning Thanos. Listen, <laughs> if they do do a collab, haha, do do. So I think Fortnite would get some really good PR rep if they did One Punch Man because they <gasps> can finally bring back the Goku versus Saitama debate on YouTube. <laughs> oh, yes. That's everyone true. can be like, my Goku has a better gun than your Saitama. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's true. I think that is the future of Fortnite now. Big brain moment. Honestly, claps for Ethan. <laughs> I single-handedly say Fortnite. <laughs> so she got you hired. Look, on one hand, it is actually like there is some positivity to the fact that like Fortnite is introducing new people, like younger people, to like because like Naruto and Dragon Ball are very popular anime, but I don't think it's as like mainstream as it used to be. No. So I guess it is good that they have some exposure to it. But then on the other hand, it is also very depressing <laughs> um, <laughs> when Fortnite has become such an integral part of a society. So, you know, the people that make these games, they grew mm. up watching these characters, you know? Mm. So this is like this is like the adult equivalent of getting action figures and like smashing <laughs> them together and go, yeah, fighting, you know? But at what point do you like stand back and you go, okay, Naruto holding a gun is kind of whack. It or, is like, whack. It is whack. Sasuke doing Fortnite of... dancing. Oh, that's the best part. That's the best. <laughs> part. You know, there's like an absurdist, like there's an absurdist quality to it. You know, that I think that really fits um, the spirit of the age. Mm. You know? Yeah, but I don't think Fortnite is taking themselves like seriously. No, like, no, of course there not. There is like some tongue in cheek to it. Yeah, they should yeah. have like the girl from Anohana and like. God. I'm sorry, where were you going with the moment you mentioned Manma from I just thought it'd be funny seeing her running around with a gun. <laughs> it would be funny. Oh, next we should have um, Attorney Wu. Or... No. <laughs> should, like, uh, if anything, they should do like Spy X Family. You know, that yeah. makes oh, sense. That does make sense. Oh, you're that so would. right. Same time, I'd feel bad for shooting a child. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like she'd, be, she'd read your mind as to what you're going to do and then move. Oh, you know? right. Wow. So if you play as Anya, you can see all your enemies' IP addresses. So. <laughs> <laughs> the game should hire us. We are yeah, we should be hired. <laughs> we know what's up. <laughs> yeah. How to mash Asian media with mm. Fortnite. Yeah, future of games. It's a beautiful thing. If you would like to see APN on Fortnite, <laughs> let us know in the comments below. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry to say, but I think we have to destroy this whole segment. Hello, Tracy. No, we're not allowing this. I was just listening in to 
<laughs> no, what? Yeah. Okay, how, how do we end it? <laughs> Lee, Lee, where can, um, where can people go in these trying times? <laughs> if you want to be rescued from the rapture, where should they go? I'm crying, I can't. Fortnite goddess, tears are falling. Why are you crying? If you have any thoughts about this Fortnite and Dragon Ball Z collab, or if you would like a number one victory royale, let us know your thoughts at our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Asian Pop Nation. Greetings to everyone who is listening to us right here, right now on Asia Pop Nation, whether live on air or on our podcast. It's Leisha here, the executive producer of APN, who is here to fill in on all of these songs that you heard just now. We first played a really, really fantastic track to come out of Indonesia, Jakarta specifically. We have the song titled Possibilities by the artist Fry. Moving along, however, we then played the song titled Summer by Terrence Lum, which comes from his new mini album Memento. And lastly, we played the song titled Tampa Pari by Febi Putri, a really nice ballad, I feel, to signify that we have reached the end of our show. Oh no, it's always a... It's that time to always reach to the end, but I always love to do a little recap in terms of what exactly we talked about on this pretty hefty episode. We had a big conversation about Hollypop Fest 2022 in Sydney, sharing some of our thoughts and do a little recap of all of the artists that performed there. Again, such an incredible experience overall. No words, no words. <laughs> Moving along though, we then talked about two really exciting films and documentaries called Children of the Miz and Plan 75, both movies which you can watch at this very moment through Mythplay, which is the Melbourne International Film Festival's streaming platform, which is occurring at the moment. And then, of course, we have some typical APN hijinks around. We talked about a interesting collaboration between Fortnite and Dragon Ball Z, as well as a new film announcement coming from Eric Nam of all artists. The fact that he is actually debuting in a psychological thriller coming soon in the future. Honestly, can't wait to see how that project turns out. Either way, thank you so much for always being really down to listen to our assortment of discussions that we have each episode. And thank you so much for joining not just myself, but our APN team tonight of Xenia, JP, Tracy, Lee, and Ethan. And before we say our goodbyes, of course, I gotta highlight an extra song that we're gonna be playing right now. It is a song from Indonesian artist Meza Luna with her song titled You Should Know. And on that note, have a great rest, everyone. Hope you have a fantastic week ahead. And remember, you can always tune into Asian Pop Nation every Tuesday from 8pm onwards, right here on Sin. And for bonus content, you can always follow us at Asian Pop Nation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and listen to our Asian Pop Nation podcast available anywhere and everywhere you stream your podcasts. Good night, everyone.